0: Today on the Bill Kelly Show on AM 900 CHML.
1: President Trump has promised to do is to renegotiate NAFTA, North American Free Trade Agreement. Uh, how is this going to work? Should Canadians be concerned? There, well, there are a couple of things that, that come out of this, and, and I'll go back to last Friday during uh, President Trump's inauguration speech. Uh, a couple of things that, that you need to hear first is, is a quote from the speech itself that it says. We must protect our borders from the ravages of other countries making our products, stealing our companies, and destroying our jobs. That was part of his speech. Uh, Later that day, the White House website uh, put this tweet out and suggested, President Trump is committed to renegotiating the North American Free Trade Agreement. If our partners refuse a negotiation, a renegotiation, that gives American workers a fair, fair deal, then the president will give notice of the United States' intent to withdraw from NAFTA. Should we be concerned about this? Well, you're getting mixed messages on this. Some people are saying, yes, be afraid, be very afraid. Others are saying, let this thing roll out. This is bombast, and it's not really going to be that bad. Which one do you fall for? I I don't know. Let's ask Mark Warner, who is the principal of MAAW Law, expert on international business, trade, and regulatory laws. He joins us here on The Bill Kelly Show. Mark, thank you so much for the time. I appreciate it.
0: No problem. Thanks for having me.
1: Well, the Prime Minister and his Cabinet are meeting in Calgary right now to discuss strategy. Um, we just uh, found out that, uh, that was going to be happening. What's going on behind closed doors? Is there trepidation here, or is, there, is this just as business as usual as a trade negotiation?
0: Well, I think it's a bit of both. I, I think that the, um, you know, my sense of it is that the last government, I mean, sorry, the, the Canadian government was a bit out on a limb in terms of uh, closeness to the uh, the obama government and really didn't doesn't seem to have done a lot of legwork for the possibility of a clint of, of a trump victory and so i think they're catching up to reality as i think we are in the country itself i one of the pro, i've been doing a lot of interviews on this topic for the last year or so and it's always seemed to me that 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 we didn't really have a thorough airing of the views of either clinton or trump you know we it, every conversation tended to sort of drop down to he wants to tear it up he's evil so now I think as a country and, and, and the government, they're trying to catch up to reality. So I think that's important. And I think um, it sounds like they're talking to the right people and doing the right things. Uh, 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 Trump's um, son-in-law apparently is going to be going up and speaking. Yeah,
1: I uh, just saw that on uh, Twitter. Jared Kushner is going to be heading up there tomorrow.
0: So that was probably smarter than inviting Joe Biden for a dinner in December. <laughs> 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 I mean, I'm not quite sure what that was all about. But I think that they seem to have understood that uh, there's a new uh, sheriff in town and it might be a good idea to get to know that new sheriff.
1: Well, there was a great deal of fear because of some of the bombast of, of, of the, uh, the campaign. Let's, let's go back to those days, to back to 2016. Uh, but as a number of different observers have stated, there's a big difference between campaigning and governing. Uh, does the Trump administration understand that?
0: Um, well, that's not clear. But, I mean, here's the thing we need to remember about trade law in the United States. And, you know, I say this as someone who's both a Canadian lawyer sure. and an American lawyer. When Canadians think of American presidents, we tend to think of them as, you know, prime ministers in Canada leading a majority government, kind of all powerful. And that's just not the American system, and it's just the weirdest thing that we live right next door to them and we can't get that right. And it doesn't matter what government we have in Ottawa, uh people just don't seem to understand that. So that what the American president can do, he's got a lot of powers on foreign affairs, but commerce with other nations really belongs to Congress. And over the years, particularly since the Nixon administration, um, that power has been delegated from Congress to the president so that you can can negotiate um, trade agreements. And to make a long story short, you know, what Congress gives to the president, Congress can take back from the president. Uh, You know, Trump is not really the leader of the Republican Party in the sense of which Trudeau is leader of the Liberal Party. I mean, the party in Congress and the House and in the Senate, I would guess, it's probably he probably doesn't control a lot of those seats of those members automatically and they will be watching his polls closely in their districts to see whether or not he's someone to follow and as has been said a lot we trade a lot with a lot of those states and those congressional districts so we need to be concerned we need to watch what's being said but my view of this is you know keep in mind he's a deal maker he's a real estate guy and if you start panicking and clucking around like chickens uh, he's got you where he wants you
1: well, you're absolutely right. I mean, I saw a tweet from the, the president's office, uh, from Trump uh, himself earlier today, uh, again reiterating his promise that he was going to lower taxes for middle-class uh, Americans. Well, in fact, he doesn't have that power as president uh, and, and that's why I ask whether or not they understand the difference in the true. That's that's going to be a congressional uh, item, if in fact it's going. He can sign the bill or or not, I guess. But you know, it's not as if he's totally without power there. No. But a lot of the stuff he promised during the campaign and continues to promise is really beyond his jurisdiction, isn't
0: it? Yeah, I think that that's right. I mean, I think, and, and you've got to look at the fine prints on that. I mean, we lawyers, you know, American lawyers, will debate for till the cows come home when he talks about having, for instance, a forty-five percent tax on China. Uh, it's possible. There are some statutes again that where Congress has delegated power to him, but they're for things like Trading with the Enemy Act. Under the Trading with Enemy Act, is he really going to declare China to be the enemy? I don't know. I think that's a pretty strong step. There, you know, there's some things that have been used in the past uh, um, where there are sort of balance of serious balance of payments problems. You know, Americans have trade deficits, but do they have serious balance of payments problems? Is another thing under the, that Nixon tried to use under the Trade Expansion Act of '62, but that was in wartime. You know, it's something to be used when there's a grave national security risk. So it's important. Yes, he has some powers. Um the United States, is still a country of laws and courts, and anything he suggests in terms of using his executive powers, Congress could take back, and the courts will have a chance to examine. So, yeah, some of the threats he's making specific threats on corporate on on automakers. I can't really see that he has that authority, to be honest, and I think most lawyers would say he doesn't. And if he tried to use them, you know, they'd be in court in a nanosecond. So yes, be concerned, but also a lot of this is sound and fury to get people And I think the his commerce secretary in the commerce in the confirmation hearings last week said, uh, Trump's done an excellent job of softening up our trading partners for negotiations.
1: Well, I mean, in the book The Art of the Deal, whether he wrote it or not, I, I, I yeah. guess it's still up to some speculation at this stage, but one of the, the mantras of that is soften up the opposition first, exactly. and usually do that with threats, right?
0: Exactly. I, and I think that that's the, the, the strangest thing to me, in this whole weird debate, I was on another radio show station, uh, at panel last Friday, where we got to an argument about this. Instead of arguing about whether he's executing on the plan, we got off on a tangent about whether he wrote the book. And I, I think after 18 months of this, we should realize whether he wrote it or not, he acts on it.
1: Well, he wrote it or not, he, he read it. <laughs> and, yeah. and, or somebody somebody that, that he listens to read it because he is following some of these ideas. Exactly. But he, here's the other element to this, too. You know, when he does wave the saber like this, like, you know, uh, the, the the quote from the White House here, you know, if if the other two countries, if the other countries, you know, he's talking about Mexico yeah. and Canada, uh, you know, he'll just uh, he'll just withdraw from the deal. Okay, that's the tough talk. The other element of this is I'm hearing rumblings from an awful lot of sources right now that a lot of folks in Congress kind of like NAFTA. I, I don't know if it's a majority necessarily, but this is not going to be a, a cakewalk for him if he wants to rip this up or renegotiate it.
0: Yeah, I don't, I don't think uh, ripping it up or, or you know, fundamentally renegotiating it is going to be all that easy. Look, what, there was a, a leak or a story quote, a quote from last week, I think in The Globe, where they were saying that the two items of interest for the Americans have identified are rules of origin, and I'll come back to that. And the other one would be reviewing the Chapter 19 uh, Dispute Settlement Mechanism for reviewing anti-dumping and countervailing duty decisions. Now, it seems to me the important thing that we have to do in Canada is not is to stop and realize that we may not be the target of his attack. It may be Mexico. And the weirdest thing, if you think back to the last year, the whole debates around the Trans-Pacific Partnership, Canada was a holdout in that because... The agreement, that agreement would have lowered the thresholds for, you know, for instance, when an auto car part qualifies to be treated as a part made in Canada or, or Mexico or the United States. And so in some sense, if to the extent that Trump is in agreement with that kind of policy, a lot of the people who've been on the left in Canada, traditional critics of NAFTA, might find themselves in the strange position that although they're marching in the streets on Saturday against him, they actually agree with him on trade policy. So that particular one, we might actually agree with him more. On the NAFTA Chapter 19 one, that's a more sensitive point. That has something to do, like, I think the one that's quite topical in the news is, like, softwood lumber dispute. The Americans think we subsidize uh, our, 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 our softwood lumber. Um, we tend to win these NAFTA panel decisions. The Americans have long before Trump. This isn't particular to him. They look at the record of, lo- of wins and losses in those panels, and they seem to lose disproportionately. And, you know, some Americans, uh, perhaps a lot of Americans, think that, uh, that we're winning because the panels are not doing what they're supposed to be doing. In other words, they're not correctly applying their legal review standard, not uh, being too technical. So, so I think that's, I mean, could you get a number of people in Congress that would have specific bilateral trade issues with Canada? Yes. You know, uh, country of origin labeling, um, some government procurement issues. Some, uh, but is that enough to to basically tear up NAFTA? I don't think so. But once you start unraveling it, of course, the different producer interest groups and Congress people will bring their particular issues to the table, and and that's where it's going to be important for us to not overreact.
1: Well, the auto industry seems to be the focus of an awful lot of this discussion, and and it, you're right, absolutely, Mark. A lot of it had to do with uh, the threat of imposing tariffs, uh, but which which begs the question: Well, what's an American car? Uh, You know, uh, uh, know, when he says, you know, uh, he chastised the the Mexican situation, but here in Canada, of course, the majority of cars that are manufactured or, or assembled here, whatever the case might be, depending on the automaker, are sent back to the States for sale. Uh, does that constitute an, an American car, or is that a Canadian import? We don't. Uh, I, th- we're really going to get bogged down in definitions here, aren't we?
0: Well, and, and, they, and they say that that's where it is. Lo- and, and what we've really benefited from in the last, uh, you know, fifteen, twenty, maybe twenty-five years in Canada is the rise of the Asian auto producers investing in in Canada. Our the the the, the shape and the, the, the look of our auto industry is no longer just the big three. Now, those uh, Asian producers from Korea and from Japan have come here in large part because they can source product in their, in their home countries or in that region, and then ship, put them into a car here and ship them and get the favorable NAFTA treatment. Now, the question is going to be for, for the, from a company's point of view, is does uh, tampering with those rules of origin change their investment decision into Canada? So that's one that we'll have to watch. But as I say, I think the unions may well have a different view of that than, than the actual corporate investors.
1: And we saw some of the companies making statements along that regard at the Detroit Auto Show a week or so, where where they're all saying, "No, we're we're still committed to Canada." Yes. Uh, now, uh, you you can you know reinforce your commitment right up until the time that you say you don't, uh, and and hopefully you know they're being sincere about this. But it really depends on these negotiations,
0: right? And also depends what what it means to be committed to Canada. Look, I was involved with the Ontario government as a lawyer. Uh, during the restructuring of Chrysler and GM, and you know, GM made certain, Chrysler made certain commitments to us in terms of getting out of the, um, getting the loan and the grant assistance to get them out of the crisis, but in terms of a long-term assistance, a long-term commitment footprint, they really didn't include that, and so the, the economic fundamentals of, of being in that industry in Canada are still going to be relevant, regardless of what Mr. Trump does with NAFTA. so You know, we did see the announcement in the fall where GM was talking about uh, making some investments in Oshawa in the high-tech area and that sort of thing. And it may well be that's where that industry is destined to go in Canada. Although Mr. Trump would be a nice target to blame it on if it didn't, you know, if that's the way it went.
1: Well, that's the fear a lot of folks have at this stage: is that they're going to start closing plants down and saying, you know, you're not going to, we're not going to milk stuff in Oakville anymore. Ford, we're doing everything down in Ohio now, or right. or wherever. Is is that even a distinct possibility or remote right. possibility here?
0: I don't. I don't I don't think it's particular to this, but I think it's I think it's the structure of the industry itself. Now, Trump wants to bring a lot of that back. He, that's his argument. He can bring it back. He's so far focusing largely on Mexico that you can scare them enough with the threat of a high tariff that they'll start producing the parts or you know for the cars that are being uh, uh, exported from Mexico into into the United States. Will start producing them in, in in the United States itself. We'll have to wait and see whether that happens or not. I, I, I you know some will come back, some investment, but a lot of Manufacturing in the United States is being automated, and so th- that 's also part of the problem for him, like even if companies go back, and there 's some evidence that manufacturing is coming back into the United States from Asia in the last uh, say in the last 10 years. Um, but it's not coming back with jobs, and I don't think that Trump anything that Trump said so far changes the dynamic on that.
1: Well, and that's that's a reality that a lot of elected officials tend to want to sidestep is the fact that, you know and they say hey under that last administration whomever it was you know we lost ten thousand jobs a lot of those are automation I mean right. you know it doesn't take you know thirty thousand people in a steel mill now to produce steel I mean we have that here in Hamilton we have exactly. still you know even U.S. Steel with all their troubles or Stelco or whatever you want to call it these days is still producing steel uh Arcelor, middle DeFasco producing more than ever before but they're not doing it with the same workforce the auto industry is the same way yeah.
0: and I think that's another one where I think speaking specifically of steel I do think that you know Trump has talked about having an infrastructure plan a trillion dollar infrastructure plan and I think I do think one of the things where Canada needs to be careful is going to be in this government procurement uh, buy American hire American phrase and and what happens to steel in the in the crisis uh, 10 you know 10 years ago um, we were able to do a bilateral agreement on procurement with the U.S. that got us out of that. Um, but for the first time, made meant that Canada had to make commitments um, at the provincial and the municipal level that we had never made before in any agreement at that time. So I suspect that Canada is going to once again be asked to come to the table in the government procure, procure, uh, procurement space if we want to get... Uh, Uh, out of the Buy American, particularly with respect to steel products.
1: We've just been informed uh, just seconds ago that, uh, that President Trump has now formally signed the executive order to uh, pull out of the Trans-Pacific Partnership trade deal, yeah. uh, which might, again, s- to make people shake just a little bit uh, re- vis-a-vis the re- negotiations with the NAFTA. But f- really, when you look at the impact that was going to have and, and and the pushback in the United States about uh, the TPP, Mark, that was actually an easier thing for him to do than NAFTA, wasn't
0: it? Yeah, I mean, and, and even there, yeah, he said he was going to do it, he did it. I don't think that comes as a surprise. Um, I still am probably put myself in the camp that says, you know, that Mr. Trump is in a business where he has re- rebranded hotels and casinos in the past, and I, I suspect that there will be a trump Pacific uh, partnership at some point in his, <laughs> in his time in power. Remember, even, even the TPP really began under George W. Bush and was rebranded to be Obama's agreement. Um, but the, the importance of, of to, uh, to trade, of being able to have an American presence in that region, is, is, I think it trumps any particular president, put it that way. So I, I, I'm not gonna, I'm not someone who's going to be swayed by the particular theater of that. Although I think, and I think that's the important thing from a Canadian point of view. You know, it, it, what's strange to me in the in Canada about TPP is, ever since it was signed in 2015, the gov- our government sat on its hands about it for a whole year. I mean, they, I mean, if Canada had got off our hands and helped Mr. Obama, maybe that would have helped create the impetus to pass it last spring. So it is a bit weird now. To be all up in a, t- a tizzy because uh, Trump is against it. You know, we, we had our chance, but it'll come back in some form. I'm pretty sure. But,
1: but whatever support there was for TPP in the states right now was 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 rather tenuous at best, and people just know yeah. this will work out for you. Just wait and see. Just yeah. wait and but, see. NAF- NAFTA is real though. That's tangible. That it's that's tangible. affecting lives on both sides of the border.
0: Well, it's, now it is in terms of that. I mean, the other one is is the other one is more geostrategic, but that's important too because you know somehow you know General MacArthur. You know, fought for that, that presence in that region and, and those those trade links. So, although it, there's not a lot of popular, it's hard to show the the, uh, the actual economic benefit from the TPP. I think we would feel it pretty quickly if we cede that that South uh, South China Sea entirely to the Chinese. So, um, I, I don't think that issue is done. But NAFTA, my feeling is, you know, stay calm. You know, hopefully the government is studying. It sounds like what they're doing is right. That they're talking to the right people. And um, then we'll see, you know, if Trump is bound and determined to apply a high level tariff on Mexico and China, as he promised, they I say, I don't think it can be done against a specific company. But if he does that to Mexico outside of the framework of NAFTA, then we do have the option of resuscitating the old Canada U.S. free trade agreement. And without being too technical, I don't think it's an automatic case where that just flies back into effect. It'll take some negotiation. And as I say, Mr. Trump is a negotiator, <laughs> so that will, there'll be a certain level of pain that will come even with that discussion, but that's also a possibility as well.
1: Mark, i got just a minute left here. I mentioned Jared Kushner. Uh, Trump's son-in-law is going to be heading up to Calgary to meet the Prime Minister and the Cabinet tomorrow. Uh, is he going there to listen or to deliver a message?
0: I don't know. I suspect he's been invited to listen. I doubt he's got. May, may, if, I doubt he's got a huge message. He's, he's one of the
1: few people that Trump listens to.
0: Yeah, exactly. So I think I think he's probably going to to listen and probably deliver a message of friendship. I don't think he'll make any commitments. Um, I think he'll hear the government out. I mean, at some point, you know, the messaging about you know we're the we're the most important trading partner in thirty five of your states only goes so far. I think he'll listen. I mean, I, I don't think it, I think in all but two of those states. The level of uh, exports uh, to Canada represents more than ten percent of the of the uh, gross domestic product of that state. So, you know, there, it's it, it, that, that's a particular bit of messaging that can be overstated. But uh, yeah, but it
1: makes us feel warm and fuzzy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Mark, thanks so much for this. Appreciate the time today.
0: No problem. Thanks for talking. Want to hear more. Download the podcast on iTunes or Google Play and listen to the Bill Kelly Show weekdays from nine to noon on AM nine hundred CHML.